Hello and welcome to the Weekend Booktopian, the podcast where a few booktopians get together each week to talk book news, share what they've been reading, and then phase off in a deadly round of book trivia, the we like to call book fight. I'm Olivia Frico, senior content producer and editor of the Booktopian blog, and I'm delighted to once again be your host this week. It's been a little while. Uh, but joining me today is Stefania Caponia, our category manager for nonfiction. Hi, Stefania. Hello. I believe this is your first time on the podcast. Yes. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it and also a little bit nervous, but excited. Don't be nervous. <laughs> I am host each, like every other week, and I still get nervous, so you are definitely <laughs> not alone. <laughs> also joining me this week is Thomas Ott, our Head of Trade Marketing. Hi, Tom. Konnichiwa, Olivia. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> It's always a pleasure. And finally, we're joined by Nick Wasiliev, my fellow senior content producer and co-host of The Weekend Booktopian. How are you, Nick? I'm okay. I'm in a state of zen right now. It's been <laughs> You're in a state it's, of zen. It's you haven't got the zen. dressing gown on, though, so that's a good sign. No, no, that's how yeah. He's in video meetings. He has his yeah. big blue fluffy robe on. I do have my big blue fluffy robe on when it, whenever it's stressful. And, you know, it's, it's busy times right now um, in, the, in the book industry world. We're getting ready for kind of, you know, that period heading up to Christmas. Everyone is wanting to find out what the big books will, will, uh, will be. And uh, it's no different for us. It's busy times here at Booktopia, but I am absolutely delighted to be here. Well, we're delighted to have you. Um, but let's not talk about stress. Let's get into a bit of more of a joyful mood. What, is, what are some things bringing us joy this week? Um, I'm, I've recently started um, getting back into baking. Last week I made pretzels uh, from scratch. I'm like the big, nice, soft pretzels that you dunk in various sauces and butters and whatnot. They were delicious and I am keen to get on to my next baking adventure. Nick, how about you? What's bringing you joy this week? I have discovered the wonders, <laughs> the, the fantastic show that is sex education. The new season <gasps> dropped recently and I hadn't up until I'm, I'm all caught up now. I'm all caught up. Um, I'm currently watching episode six of season three. Um, I watched that last night. Yeah. So I, we, I, over the, Meg, my partner started watching, rewatching them to, to prep for season for, uh, for the third season. And I thought, what is this? What is this, this, uh, this show? Let me check it out. And I fell in love with it within the space of about five minutes. Um, it's such a good show. If I if that show had been around when I was a teenager, I feel like I would be a completely different person. Yeah, I know. It's I love its approach to the topic. Uh, the the titular topic is fantastic. It's such a wonderful, uh, open, unabashed, unashamed uh, examination of of sex and the world and that entire world and all the politics associated with it. Um, if you haven't read uh watch this show uh, i highly highly recommend that you do check it out because as mentioned the new season has just dropped and that is where how i've been spending my most of my of my evenings just catching up watching the latest uh, adventures of of eric and <laughs> eric and otis and Maeve and company um it's a it, it's a huge amount of fun and uh, certainly has been you know um eating up the days uh, as we have been in lockdown i love it love it 100% behind that. What about you, Stefania? Is there anything that's been bringing you joy this week? Well, my sister has been turning up with baking goods because I don't bake, but she loves to. So she's my bubble buddy at the moment. I'm, I've unfortunately been in one of those LGAs of concern 
Uh, so I've, my lockdown's been quite long. Um, but she can come and visit and she's been bringing me muffins and cakes, which is great. Um, and this weekend, we're both doing each other's hair. So <laughs> that's the plan because we both need to do each other's roots. Um, I haven't been to the hairdresser in so long. I'm really missing mm. it. So um, that's going to bring me joy, actually having my hair done. I think the thought of you getting your hair done is also bringing me joy because my hair is so ridiculously long now in my head. My hair is always like shoulder length and it is gone way past that point. At this point. <laughs> every time I get my hair cut, everyone's like, Oh my God, you chopped it all off. And in, in my head, I'm like, no, I didn't. It's always been this length. I'm so I'm very ready to get back to a hairdresser. So I feel you there, Stefania and Thomas lucky last. Is there anything bringing you joy this week? Yeah, lots of things are bringing me joy this week. I think I'm uh, equally excited to uh, to get to the hairdresser as well in a couple of weeks. Uh, my my fringe was starting to annoy you, so now I've turned it back into a into a man bun to get it off my face. But I'm looking forward to just cutting it short again. Um, what else is bringing me joy? Uh, after six or how long have we been in lockdown now? Since June, I think. But looking at the bright side, my cooking is, is starting to get a little bit better at least because I've been practicing so much and uh, Catherine is beginning to trust my cooking and actually starting to eat it. So uh, I'm very happy about this. You know, that's a win I can get behind. I'm loving all of these culinary joyful things this week. It's a definite theme. <laughs> all right, Absolutely. before we... Yeah. So before we get into it, we do have a short announcement. Um, next week, there will be no episode of The Weekend Booktopian. So you'll have a week off from our shenanigans before we get right back into it. So cry your tears now. But while you're doing that, we're going to get on to book news. So there's been a little bit of exciting book news this week. Um, two or three items have dropped, uh, which is very exciting. Uh, first of all, being the Historical Novel Society of Australasia has announced the shortlists for their uh, 2021 Historical Novel Prize, which is fun. So the novels shortlisted in the adult category are Bila Yadadangalangdurai by Anita Heiss, uh, Our Shadows by Gail Jones, and The Burning Island by Jock Sarong. So congratulations to you three. And the novels shortlisted in the children's and young adult category are The Grandest Bookshop in the World by Amelia Mellor, We Are Wolves by Katrina Nanestad, and The Mummy Smugglers of Crumbling Castle by Pamela Rushby. So this is a very exciting prize. Um, yeah. The winner of the adult category gets 50 grand. The winner of the kid category gets 30 grand. And then all of the shortlisted authors um, across both categories get five grand. So that makes this prize the richest genre-based literary award in Australasia. That's pretty cool. Um, so if you are into historical fiction, which I know a few people on staff are, um, you should look out for the winners on October 22nd. Has anyone read any of the books on this list? Um, I have been uh, introduced a little bit to Bila Yandanglangrai um, by Anita Heiss, um, which is a really wonderful book, uh, highly recommended. We were lucky to have her in the in the in the studio um, before the time of lockdown, um, and yeah, uh, she right. talked a lot about this this book, particularly about around uh, you know the the decision to actually name the book uh, based on the local indigenous language. Um, it, it translate, which translates to River of Dreams. Um, and it's a really beautiful uh, story about um, a flood that occurred uh, in the 1800s around the, the Gundagai region. 
and uh, how indigenous how the indigenous people stepped in to help this this town this uh, European town that built itself on the on land which they didn't know was actually a very dangerous place to build and there's a lot of examination about country um, how indigenous people are treated um, and forgotten history in this book um, and it is a, a highly recommended uh, at least by me, I think it was a it was a really beautiful novel. Um, I have not read any of the shortlist for the uh, children's and young adult category, but I do know that the grandest bookshop in the world did very very well at the uh, at the Arbia Awards earlier this year. So there is a lot of hype oh, around it did that. Too, but, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I know that Sarah was a big fan of at least two of those books, um, and also Pamela Rushby has been on the blog um, to talk about Mummy Smugglers of Crumbling Castle. So it's a very it's a list that's very familiar to us Booktopians. Um, but once again, congratulations to all of those authors. And once again, the, author, the winners will be announced on October 22nd, if you didn't catch that the first time. Uh, so on to our second uh, item of news today. Uh, we officially have a picture book that's been chosen for National Simultaneous Storytime 2022. Um, so the next year's book, which has been chosen by the Australian Library and Information Association, or ALIA, um, it's called Family Tree, and it's the forthcoming picture book from Aussie musician Josh Pike and illustrator Ronajoy Gosh. Um, so if you don't know what National Simultaneous Storytime is, um, it's a great campaign where each year a picture book written and illustrated by an Australian author and illustrator um, is chosen to be read simultaneously around Australia, New Zealand and the world. Um, Last year's choice was really cool. Oh, well, I should say this year's choice was really cool. It was uh, Give Me Some Space by Philip Bunting, and it was actually read live from the International Space Station. Uh, so I don't know what what next year's event's going to be. Maybe they'll read it from a literal tree. Who knows? Um, but <laughs> if you want to take play, if you want to take part, um, it will be held on Wednesday, the 25th of May. I believe it's at 11 a.m., but I will have to double check that. And we'll have all like news announcements on blog and social in the lead up to that event. So look I'm out for that. I'm a fan of Josh, his music. <laughs> I haven't read his, um, his children's books, but he does post a lot about them. So that's great news. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of fun. So maybe we'll get a musical performance. Right? Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. It's it, I love I love musicians trying their hands at, at trying to write books and stuff. And yeah. by the sounds of this book, uh, Josh has really he's outdone himself in terms of uh, this. I think I, I'm pretty sure it's his debut book. Um, no, he's, I think he's written yeah. up children's books. He posts, yeah, he posts about them all the time. So uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah but they're actually successful, which is great. We love to see that. <laughs> Um, and one final bit of book news, um, which has kind of just dropped this morning, is that Netflix has acquired the works of Roald Dahl um, in the streaming company's biggest content deal to date. So I think there's, uh, they've got the license to about 16 titles, um, which is huge for one author to get yeah. like a vast chunk of their backlist. That's incredible. Um, so I believe under this deal, they've got, uh, Taika Waititi on board to create a TV series based on the world of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, as well as an adaptation of Matilda the Musical. And I can see Nick's getting very excited over the mention of Taika. Oh my God. <laughs> Taika Waititi and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That is literally a dream. Like gods. when I heard this news, I was like, oh God, please don't let them do Charlie and the Chocolate Factory again. And then I heard it was Taika Waititi and I was like, mm, okay, fine. You can do that. He can find he uh, he'll find some way to, to to do it in a new way that is so trippy, but it, it stays true to the trippiness of the other of the original book. But he's a, a good choice. 
he's a good choice. I just say, I just want to say that I want an adaptation of the Twits. That's all I want. <laughs> yeah, there's so many, there's so many fantastic books in that in that Roald Dahl catalogue. Um, even down to his rhymes yeah. and stuff that he's done over over years and the storytelling there. It's hmm. wow. God, we have a lot to look forward to. Um, Netflix is pulling out all the stops at the moment. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? All I can say is I hope they do, like, in my mind, I would love them to do, like, a series which is just kind of Black Mirror-ish where they take on some of his creepy short stories. I remember he does this great one. I can't remember what it's called. But it's about a wife who kills her husband with a leg of lamb and then shoves it in the oven and serves it up to the police officers who are coming to investigate his murder. It's a great story. He's, he, yeah, he's I would love to see great. Like, How dark I would love to see him do that. <laughs> <laughs> he was not all like sunshine no, and daisies in the books, that man. He's also apparently a bit of a, I don't want to say a bit of a dick <laughs> in real life, but <laughs> did I say that on the podcast? Well, you have to beat that out, Nick. Uh, probably. Apology. I'll have to put a bleep in there. Like but look, people, find the, people find the bleeps entertaining, so. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. As long as they're not too loud. <laughs> it's a problem for the editor. <laughs> I love Which it. So we, do, we cover it up with a little helicopter-sounding bleep or something else, right? We, we mix it up. Oh, just something loud and obnoxious, just like a really loud uh, <laughs> sound. Yeah, <laughs> All right, let's, before I say something else that I regret, uh, let's move on to the books that we've been reading and loving right now. So, Nick, did you want to kick us off? I would love to kick us off. Um, I have been, I've been reading a lot lately, which has been incredibly nice. I've been revisiting some books like Honeybee um, as well, which has been like mm-hmm. a, a huge, a lot of fun. Um, the, my first book, I'm, I'm going to only touch on it briefly because I'm actually not allowed to talk about it because it is a, in, um, under embargo, which is the new autobiography from Sonny Bill Williams. Um, I've been lucky enough to do a interview with him that will be coming out on publication day for that book. But um I, I'll just say that I have read it and it is really good and I will leave it at that because I'll, I'll save it for a, a later episode of the, of the Weekend Booktopium um, when I'm allowed to talk about it, but uh, highly recommended um, if you want that. Um, the first one, which I'm going to talk about, I have uh, three other books w- with me, is uh, Trent Dalton. Um, Trent Dalton's love stories, uh, which has yes, everyone, a, a lot of these have, these books have been kind of uh, moving around the office at uh, at quite a pace. Um, we always love it when uh, Trent comes in um, or, or Trent has a new book out. It's and the the premise of this book when it was pitched to us was uh, Trent basically sat on a kind of a corner in a in a major street in Melbourne, I think it was, or um, and he yes, basically. Sorry, Brisbane. Brisbane, Thank you very much. And he basically um, got passers-by to tell him stories about love or their thoughts on love. And what he wrote is these stories right here. So I think it's 14 off the top of my head stories um, about different perspectives on love. And it's... It, it, it's uh, it's definitely something I didn't expect from him, considering he has been following up the likes of Boy Swallows Universe and all our Shimmering Skies. Um, but at the same time, this is Trent. This is like such a Trent thing to do. Um, this, yeah, this is exactly what I'd expect him to do, to be this, honest. And yeah, he's like one of the very people I think 
pull it off. Yeah, it's look. It's mostly the uh, it's mostly the the like I was just expecting. Oh, fiction! It's a fiction. Uh, like he he's because he's been on such a great role with fiction. His fiction books lately, but yeah, the, just what he conjures in terms of these of these stories and how he actually describes them on the page. In addition to you know the people who just answer the simple question of can you tell me a love story, this is really beautiful. And I think it's in the time that. Uh, that we are currently in, um, especially here in Sydney, in, in the time of lockdowns and being separate from people. Um, this is a beautiful book that really uh, nails the, the real fundamental values of, of things that are important in life um, and the importance of other people and the connection to other people and uh, the love that is associated around that. I highly recommend this book. It is out on the 27th of October. I'm sorry to all of our listeners who uh, cannot check this book out yet, but I highly recommend you do because Trent's done it again. This is a very beautiful book. I love it. Um, my second book, um, and I'm, I'll, is is kind of a, a, an oldie. Uh, it's a real old book because, and I feel bad that I haven't actually read it. Um, and my, I recently got my my partner the the survivors with the latest Jane Harper novel, and she has been. Uh, she's been kind of on a Jane Harper kick the last couple of uh, the last couple of months, um, and she had the and, and she's kind of been checking that and enjoying it. But it's given me the opportunity to actually dive into Jane Harper myself, and so I'm picked up the Dry, um, which I have you never read ever read. I have Don't never read the Dry. Oh, it's such a beautiful book. I, it really is. It is an incredible book and an incredible movie as well. I want to add. So we're doing. We're we're kind of having a unique experience. My my partner, uh, she uh, read the book first and then saw the movie. Um, and I am doing the opposite. I have seen the movie, but now I am about to head into the book. Um, and I am extremely. I've been extremely excited and enjoying it so far. For those of you who are not familiar with this book, and I am, would be incredibly shocked if you are not, because it has been really doing the rounds. Uh, it follows the story of, of Aaron Fork, who's a federal police officer, um, and he returns to his hometown um, after a sudden death uh, uh, in the town, or a man who has apparently killed his, his entire family and then himself. Um, and Aaron left this particular town uh, in very awkward, well, well very uh, tough circumstances when a murder several years beforehand, uh, which he was believed to have been attributed to. Um, but then when another, and, and from that, we go down this incredible twisting and turning story of, uh, of investigations and discovering, the, discovering secrets from the past. And I'm going to leave it at that if, you have not, if you're not familiar with it. But I know that everyone else probably on this podcast has read it. Um, and the, you the all love about, The thing about that book is how much the Australian landscape yeah. is a character within the book itself. Yes. So you're reading it and you can feel the climate. You can feel the dryness. Yes, you really can. You yeah. really can. It's mm -hmm. a, she, she nailed it with this debut. Yeah. She really did, and if you if you as someone who has even heard about this the hype around the dry and you and you're still want to kind of not sure whether to check it out or not, please please give it a shot because it is a, an incredible book and it's you know she really nails it. It's worth and then of reading course, for that. Yeah, it's worth reading for that opening chapter. Oh it's yes, so evocative with like the blood and the blowflies. Ugh. Yeah, it's very she, good. And, and Lost Man, her, her other one, Lost Man, is great too, for that same reason. I love that one. 
I know, I know, we, I know, we could, we could talk about Jane Harper forever on this book. I'll, I'll move to my final book, and I know, and I'm going to tread very, very quietly because I know that Stefania is actually going to talk about this book oh, as can't. well, um, and I'm not going to steal any of her thunder. But uh, we have both been reading, and I'm going to, and I'll, and uh, I'll let you elaborate further on this one, Stefania. Um, the new book by Rachel E. Menzies and Ross G. Menzies, which is Mortals, which is the story of how fit the fear of death shaped modern society. This is a non-fiction um, book um, and it's a wonderful examination around our relationship, particularly in the modern era with death and the concepts around death. And I'm, it's such a fascinating subject. And I know that it's something that a lot of people will probably find quite icky or quite confronting, but I, this book I highly recommend you checking out if you are, especially if you are feeling like that, because um, whether you, you know, death is a, is a normal part of the entire process of life. Um, and it's something that, you know, I think a lot of people are going to be interested in because it's going to happen to you at some, it's going to be a part of your life at some point or another um, already, or has already been through the deaths of people that you know around you. Um, but this is a, a fantastic book that examines the concept of death um, the, the implications around death in our society, but also how it actually fuels the, the, the fear of death fuels our everyday world and everything around it, um, but also pushes you towards having a better relationship with the concept of death and not being afraid of it. Um, I will leave it at that and I'll pass it on to Stefania because I know that you've probably dived into it a lot deeper than I had because you had the chance to chat <laughs> to Rachel not, and Ross. You summed it up perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. yeah, with that, let's go straight to Stefania. Ah, okay. Um, yeah, so Mortals. Um, I had the pleasure of doing a podcast with um, Ross and Rachel. Um, and yeah, the, the book, I wasn't quite sure when I went into it. I thought, oh, this might be a bit morbid. But in actual fact, there were so many beautiful and moving parts to the, the book as well. So basically, as... Um, as Nick mentioned, it looks at our attitudes to death, uh, mainly around our fears and how um, our denial of, of death contribute to so many devastating things in our society, like wars, um, even pandemics, global warming, over-consumerism. It touches on all of that. But then it also touches on the positive aspects of what... Um, our fears of death contribute to. So um, it spurs our creativity. So mm -hmm. art, architecture, even the desire to um, have children is um, ca can be associated with this fear of death, of wanting to be immortal, so passing ourselves on to um, another being. So all of that was really lovely. But um, there were some standout things for me. But mostly what really stood out for me was this whole idea of the positive death movement. So we talked a little bit about that in the podcast, how, um, you know, in our society, it's a taboo subject. There are some cultures that embrace death and celebrate it, but in our Western culture, we we don't. We're all terrified of it. So people don't talk about it. It's not like you sit in a coffee shop with your friends chatting about death. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So there's, 
people will talk about labor. You can easily go and buy books on what to expect when you're pregnant, but not everybody in our society experiences pregnancy and going into labor, but everyone, each and every one of us will experience death. It's inevitable. So mm -hmm. why don't we talk about it? Um, so this um, positive death movement is about um, uh, that they'll have things like death cafes um, yeah. and death dinners where they get together and they talk about it. They openly talk about it. And then there's death doulas. Um, so, so to me that um, they're a little bit like midwives. So they're people who help you in that process of dying. So help you to, to address all those issues and fears that you have around dying and, and supporting your family and, and all of those sorts of things. So it's really like that aspect of it, of the book really intrigued me. Um, and then also it, another thing that I wanted to raise in the podcast and then didn't get around to, and it was a little bit apprehensive as well, was about how um, burying people is actually not very sustainable. But when we think about it, there's so many of us already on this planet taking up space. And then when people die, we bury them. And there's some countries, some um, countries like in the States where they pump people full of chemicals so they don't decompose. And then we put them in caskets that don't decompose. <laughs> so there's that aspect of death as well that they talk about in the book um, and how there's this whole new um, movement at looking at making um, death more sustainable and more um, appropriate for our time. So all of those things are, are talked about in the in the book. It's very, it touches a lot of different aspects, not just the the psychological, which is um, which is great. So if you want to have a read, it's out now. You can you can go and order it or pick it up from your bookstores. Um, and then just because I'm on a roll with death and dying. <laughs> I, <laughs> That's why this weekend I want to read Trent. I think I've had a little bit of a... <laughs> <laughs> you make it, um, it sounds much more morbid than what we... It's, it, we're making it sound much more morbid than what it actually is. It's, it's a great that's, book. That's what I'm saying. It's not morbid. It's, there's so many beautiful aspects. Another thing that they touched on, um, I mean, if you go back and listen to the podcast, um, something that really moved me and brought me to tears in the book was um, about Pompeii. So I don't know if anybody's been to Naples, but um, if you go to Pompeii, the, when the Vesuvius um, erupted, um, the people were buried under mountains of ash. And then as the bodies decomposed, they left these cavities. So I don't know how long ago it was, maybe 120 years ago, they decided, oh, let's fill those cavities with plaster. So then they pulled out these, um, rem these, I don't know what you'd call them, these plaster casts of the people at the time that they died. Um, and what they discovered was that a lot of these people actually died together. So they sought each other out. Instead of trying to get away, they found their loved ones or they, they, they grouped together with strangers so they weren't alone. 
Um, so that whole aspect of um, our attachment and how love is associated with our end of life. All of those big themes are touched in the book. So it's, yeah, it's not morbid. <laughs> and that's the thing about the book, right, that they're trying to, to get at is that um, death is inevitable. We shouldn't think of it as a morbid theme. Um, mm. there, there is beauty in it as well. Yeah. Listen, I'm someone who's very death queasy, and that is reassuring. You've made me want to read this now. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. You've succeeded. Yeah, and look, there are death cafes in Sydney. I think at the moment they're not, but um, I, even before reading this book, I used to see them pop up on my social media, especially around the time my mum, my own mum passed away, because I know um, we didn't. Like, I don't feel like we had that kind of support at the time. Um, and then just maybe through coincidence or maybe because I was more heightenedly aware of it, I started to notice this, this movement coming up on my social media, coming up in newspapers, in magazines, um, and this whole idea of making your end of life more positive, which I think is a great like our culture needs to really embrace it. I think it needs to be, yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, so moving on to Devil's Work. That's the other book that I only just finished reading. So that's by Gary Linnell. Um, So Gary, if you don't know who Gary is, he's written a, um, about four other historical nonfiction books and he focuses on interesting Australian characters. So this book is based on um, a serial killer called, um, what's, what was his name, Frederick Deeming. So it was this crazy manhunt that covered um, multiple countries at the turn of the century, of the 19th century. Um, it's very Gothic. And it, the most interesting thing about this book isn't just that it's a, it's not just a true crime um, book, but it also touches on how at that time in history, People didn't really use science, but they turned towards superstition and seances and ghosts. So all of that was really fascinating. And he also touches in the book about the, the media circus of it. So it's not just a, a, a new thing that, um, that these big cases create a media circus. At the time, they would also create thousands of people turning up to the courthouse to, to have a look, um, all these crazy theories and, and gossip um, would come out of it. So, yeah. And then the other aspect of the book that I found um, interesting was because he, he killed his, he killed multiple wives and children, but how 150 years ago um, and, and now women are still victims of abuse and victim and you know there's men well, husbands and partners are still to this day um the biggest threat to women so that whole aspect of the book is really is really interesting and that's coming out on the 28th of september yeah gary Lennell always has such interesting approaches Ooh. to history and like i remember his book on i think it was captain moonlight the um bush yeah. ranger of australia 
Um, so this one's really interesting. Is this also the one where they have a suspicion that there's a theory yes. that this guy, Frederick Deeming, might have also been Jack the Ripper? Yes, so that's one of the crazy theories that comes out of it. And I don't think they ever um, worked out whether that was true or not, obviously. But, um, yeah, so he was associated with, after, after the, the court case, he was accused of murders all over the globe. So people were saying, oh, yes, he killed people in Africa or he killed people in America, Canada. So it was that whole frenzy around it. Um, because at the time, uh, we can't go from, at the moment, we can't go from one state to another. But at that time, people could easily travel around. They didn't even need passports. So he was creating all these different alibis and, and going from one country to another, jumping on and off boats. So there's no real record of where he'd been. It was just, and because in each country he had a different name, that's how all these crazy theories came out of it. So it's, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, it is fascinating. And also interesting to note that, you know, true crime isn't a modern phenomenon. Like we've always been morbidly fascinated by it, I think. Over to Thomas, who I believe, um, I'm very interested in one of the books that he told me that he's read this week because it's one of my favourite books of all time. So Thomas, let's pass over to you. Thanks a lot, Olivia, and and that was that was some brilliant stuff, Stefania. Uh, really interesting points on on Pompeii as well. Uh, actually, I remember I was there when I was about ten or eleven years old, so it did certainly bring back some vague old memories that I had. Um, thanks for sharing. That's great, and enjoy Jane Harp on the weekend. Um, okay, so I will dive into a couple of the great books that I have been reading just fairly recently. So, you know, with Sydney still being in, in lockdown, I've had enough time to read only my second fiction book of this year, which I'll talk to, uh, which I'll talk to about second. First though, I would like to uh, talk a little bit about uh, how to win friends and influence people, which I recently reread because uh, sometimes I, I fall into a bad habit of, of forgetting important principles and then it's good to reread them and, and bring, bring them back to life. So this is hands down in, in my view, uh, without a doubt that the best book I've ever read. Uh, it's, it's simple, it's actionable and, and it's highly, highly effective. Uh, it was actually recommended to me by my manager in, in the first company that I ever worked for uh, more than 10 years ago. I mean, he was a brilliant guy called, called Jim Lees, who I had the privilege to learn from. He basically said to me, Tom, if, if you read this book, your, your life will be much more productive and your life will be much more enjoyable. Being 23 years old at the time, of course, I did not listen. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I read it for the first time, actually, just over two years ago at the age of 32. And you know what? He was absolutely correct. I should have read it in my early 20s because the last 10 years would have been much easier. Um, as many of our listeners would know, it's, this is an absolutely classic book uh, written in the 1930s by, by Dale Carnegie. Uh, and he covers off uh, timeless principles in, in dealing with people. It's never been more relevant in a world where, where many people are so focused on themselves, uh, of course, amplified by the emergence of, of social media over the past 10 years as well. 
you know, this book really teaches you to be a better leader in a business setting. It teaches you to be a better partner in a personal relationship setting and, and, and a better person in general. So I'd like to talk about perhaps the five most important principles to me that were referenced throughout the book. Uh, I try to implement these, these on a daily basis. So the first one, the most important one being always talk about your own mistakes first. Why do we say that? Because it will prompt people to open up and to be honest. Nobody will ever become defensive and the, the likelihood of an argument ensuing then reduces. So you can never win an argument. It will always end up in, in bruised egos and bad will, which is not helpful for anyone. So you should always lead from a place of humility rather than getting on your high horse, so to speak. Secondly, another really important point that I took away from it was, you know, make sure that you're asking the right questions to your team. And, and this will surely inspire a lot of creativity. So what's the rationale behind all this? you'd be really surprised at how frequently people will arrive at the answers you want them to arrive at on their own accord with the right questions acting as a guide. This basically allows them to own the solution or idea with a great degree of pride. This, this is much better than simply barking orders at people, for example. Uh, a third key takeaway for me was, you know, you need to make sure that faults are seem easy to correct because this prevents people from being overwhelmed and really encourages a, a creative and productive revision of the process to arrive at a long-term solution. So this basically ties into another principle learned from the Lean Startup where, where faults are easy to correct because the solution usually rests in a correction to the process. So a really good example of that, for example, would be the McDonald's production line and its consistency in delivering on expectations wherever you may be in the world. And that's all due to the implementation of an efficient process. Um, and then I'd like to wrap up with, with a couple other really important ones, which was make sure that people uh, know that they are important it, because it's a thing that people want the most. More than money, more than everything else, if you treat people like they're important, then, then they will respond in, in a very positive way and you'll always be able to get the best out of people. It's, it's a win-win situation because it's a much more productive environment if, if we treat one another like this. And then finally, seeing the best in people. I, I, I honestly believe people, people are generally good deep down and people generally have good intentions. Um, and we always need to look at that first. Um, for sure, this doesn't mean that, that we should be naive or foolish, but, but we always need to give people benefit of the doubt because um, it's, it's a very important principle because it will always come back to you as well in the long term. Give people benefit of the doubt and they'll do the same back to you. Um, and that was a really important learning for me. Uh, the way that I see it is, is anyone that's really interested in living a, a more productive or efficient life through improving the way in which they deal with people, they would really enjoy this book. So if it makes you a better person, partner, or manager by just five or 10%, I'd say that this book is well worth investment. Um, it definitely influenced me a lot. It's something that I'm gonna try and reread once a year to, to, to make sure that I don't forget anything. So um, 
yeah, I'm, I'm happy I reread it. So uh, now I'll put it away for the next 12, 24 months or 12 months. And then I'll <laughs> Did you say it was written in 1936? Yeah, exactly. It was, it was written uh, in the 30s, exactly. Dale Carnegie. I had no idea. I thought it was from like yeah. the 80s or something. And yeah, that classic. it was the 70s. Yeah, there you I go. Know. That's no, so interesting. Uh, and it's still a bestseller today. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's absolutely great. Maybe it's really influenced great. me to read that. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, no, sorry. It's quite, Olivia, it's quite a, no, no, it's great. And and it's good that you asked the question because it's a very easy read as well. I mean, it's it quite, there's also, uh, I would say it took, took about six hours, right? I, I read, probably read two hours per day over, over a long weekend. Very good. Nice. Um, I can perhaps segue into something a little bit more light and uh, and fictional because, like I said at the beginning, um, I, I also dived into a, a different genre. Usually, I, I quite like self help, but uh, since I've been locked down for so long now, I can actually um, branch out a little bit as well and be a little bit more adventurous. Um, so I also read the Book Thief. So that was um, actually written by Marcus Susak. Uh, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but uh, he's actually a, a local author from, from Sydney. Uh, and this he's was actually... Uh, what, what was that? He's from my suburb. Oh, like, wow, There's that? actually a place in the book that he mentions it towards the very end where I'm like, oh, I know where that is. It's a oh. real place. Oh, Gee. wow, fantastic. Yeah. It's, um, and, and you've read this one as well. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And we have a running theme here about death. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's a little bit dark this session, you're right. I know. We didn't plan that. <laughs> I know. So, so I'll dive into a little bit about what, what this book's about. So it's, it's, it's set in Nazi Germany. It's, it's about a young girl by the name of Liesel that's, that's taken into, uh, into a foster home at the start of uh, the Second World War. Uh, this story is um, basically about Liesel and her foster family, who for a large chunk of the book is, is hiding a Jewish man in, in, in their basement. Uh, and it's told through the perspective of death. So, so death then starts to evolve almost into a character and is somewhat impacted by this beautiful family, which basically contrasts to the environment in which the book is set in. So Liesl's just a, a, she's just a nine-year-old girl, right? She's, she's just a young girl from a poor family that, that then goes into this foster home. So I'm not going to give you too much, uh, too much detail or spoil the story, but it's basically told from a really fascinating angle. And that's from that of the German uh, civilian population. So it goes into the bombing of, of innocent civilians and how it ripped apart loving families who were caught up in this terrible, terrible period of history uh, from the point of view of, of the German population. It, it's a really sad story. It's, it's, it's a highly emotional book that, that watches the world around this family. It, it is a little bit of a slow burn for sure, uh, without like a really clearly obvious plot, but you do need to kind of persevere through it as it takes a bit of time to, to build a connection with the characters, uh, which I think is one of the reasons why it's somewhat a polarizing choice for me, 
But for me, it really resonated so well because I really like that subtle nature in which the story is told. Um, and I, I thought what was really unique about this book was there's so many stories that look at how the British and Jewish populations were just terribly impacted by the war and how the Nazi party and, and the soldiers were involved, but so few that look into how the German civilian population were affected. So I really love how this story explores that view and humanizes the innocent German civilian families that were caught up in this, you know, the, the lowest point of human history. It was a, it was, a, it was an extremely moving book for me, and I, and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's very rare that I dive into fiction. This was a, like I said, I've read three or four fiction books in my life, and it was a great one. I'm really glad you enjoyed that one. Like, like I said, it's one of my favorites, and he's just great. I love Marcus Susak and his other books are, I think, just as good. I've only read Bridge of Clay, um, which was like, I think, 11 or 13 years after The Book Thief. So he takes a long time between books. So maybe by the time he comes out the next one, you'll be ready for your next fiction book, Tom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That sounds good. Gives me a few years then. That's great. Thank you, Olivia. Yeah, I love it. The funny thing there is that I usually read fiction and don't read nonfiction, and now I've done the opposite. <laughs> so I've done that. Because <laughs> you're a nonfiction expert. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, normally yeah, so for fun, I read I read fiction books, but um, since starting a couple of months ago, I've been diving into nonfiction again. So. It's, it's weird. The stars must be lining up a little bit funny, Stefania. Yeah, for you and I. Yes. <laughs> so when I heard that you read The Book Thief, I went, oh my God, I'm, I'm talking about death and death was the narrator in, in your book. <laughs> and again, yeah. um, it's a, yes, you're right. It's a very moving book, but it's, it, it touches on um, the humanity of, of death again as a, as a theme, which is lovely. Mm. Yeah, what a Absolutely. It's definitely a good read. But, well, thanks so much, guys. Those are some amazing book choices, as usual. But um, yeah, again, Nick and I always joke about our TB Red piles getting bigger and bigger with every episode of this that we host. Uh, but it really is true. It really so is. Thank you, guys. Killing amazing me. recommendation. <laughs> but um, we are running low on time, so we are going to zoom through Book Fight, which is our weekly book trivia quiz. I'll be asking some tricky bookish questions and our unlucky contestants will have to battle it out to get the correct answer in first. <laughs> Can I please get your buzzer word so that I know who is shouting out which answer? Um, mine shall Nick, be, I'll be, uh, I'll be dry. Dry. Lovely. Tom, what's yours? Uh, cactus. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Stefania? <laughs> oh, Steph. I'll keep it simple. <laughs> I definitely thought someone was going to pick death, but you know what? I almost did, and then I went, no, I'll, I'll, I won't be that morbid. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, let's get into it. So question one, we're going way back to the Greek classics, so I hope you're at least somewhat familiar. Um, which author of these four authors wrote the Iliad? Was it A, Euripides, B, Beowulf, C, Homer, or D, Virgil? Steph. Oh. I heard Steph first. Homer. You are correct. That is one point for Steph. Well done. Lightning fast. Start you off nice and easy with, you know, the Greek classics. <laughs> right. Question. My favourites. 
Question two. Let's see how well you were listening during book news. So the ARA Historical Novel Prize is the richest genre-based literary award in the Australasian region. How much is the prize collectively worth? Oh, um, dry. So, okay, yes. so you said it was... Um, so each one, each person got, was it five, $5,000 that was shortlisted? The, yep. the YA one was 30,000 and the yep. historical adult one was 50. So it's like 80,000 for the two winners. Do you want the winners or do you want like plus? The I want the collective worth. Oh God. Okay. So it's 80,000 plus uh, six times five and I'm terrible at mathematics. So, um, <laughs> Uh, so that is uh, $110,000. $110, you're incorrect. Oh, my God. <laughs> the winners, don't, don't, get the winners the don't get the shortlisted. Oh, money. yeah. That's right. So, so it's be four times five. <laughs> so 20 plus 80 is 100,000. 100,000. <laughs> I'm going to give that to Stefania because she did technically get it right. Oh. But Nick, you did all the math, so I'm going to give you half a point. <laughs> that goes to show that I, I did general mathematics in school and I was absolutely terrible at it. So <laughs> I didn't even do math in year 12, so you know what? I'm neither still did the better I. Math. <gasps> I thought I was Yay. the only one. I wanted to go to arts, no. so I didn't think I needed well, math. <laughs> yeah, well, you're not, I don't think you're allowed to skip maths anymore, at least not at my old high school. But I'm very glad they didn't make me do it because it was the one subject my brain refused to try hard in. Anyway, question three, going back to true crime. So Truman Capote's seminal true crime book, In Cold Blood, takes its name from which of these plays by William Shakespeare? Was it A, Macbeth, B, Timon of Athens, C, Othello, or D, Hamlet? Um, dry. Yep. It's got to be Macbeth. Surely. You would think so, but you'd be wrong. Oh, it was not Macbeth. What were the choices again? Uh, okay, so A was Macbeth, which you already know is incorrect. Uh, B was Timon of Athens. C is Othello, and D was Hamlet. Steph. Yeah. Hamlet. It was not Hamlet either. <sighs> Tom, I'm going to throw it out to you. Is it B or C? This is a real curveball for me, Olivia. I will. Uh, <laughs> I, I will go through B. You're actually correct. Yay! Well done, oh, Tom. <laughs> Tom won one on Shakespeare. <laughs> That's cool. So yeah, in Cold Blood, it takes um takes its title from Act Three, Scene Five of Timon of Athens, um, which is was classified as a tragedy, but I think now a lot of scholars see it as a problem play. Um, if that means anything to you, great. Let's, if not, let's move on. I've never even read that one or heard about it. Me neither it, until it I was to, looking at those questions. Yeah, so there you go. It goes to show that I'm, I'm really playing the role of the dark horse in this round. Yes, that's right. <laughs> you really are. They always root for you, Thomas. I'm like, you can do this. Right. Question four. Debut author Campbell Walker is better known on Instagram as. Oh God. I feel like I should know that because I, because we've been. I know, I know the book, but I, I'm, I'm just thinking what his podcast is called. His book is Your Head is a Houseboat. Um, yeah. And it's something. Strip, What's he known on? 
Struth. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, it's come to me now. Um, dry. It's it's yeah. really it's inappropriate. It's it's Struthless, but with a very inappropriate number, and I'm gonna assume it is sixty nine. Struthless sixty nine. I mean, Struthless is fine. <laughs> <laughs> I would say Struthless. This is great. All right. His book out is, is out next week. Question five. In which language was Stieg Larsson's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo originally published? Uh, uh, dry. Yep. It's, it's uh, Swedish, I believe. You're correct. It was originally published in Swedish. Isn't that nice? Go the Swedes. Mm. I thought German. I don't know I've read it in series, but I remember really liking it. I don't know if I'd like it if I read it again today, but I, n- I never read it. Too many. Too it's many intense. People, yeah, people were saying it was really intense, so I kind of steered away from it. Mm. Yeah, I don't know what made me pick it. I think my dad was reading it, and I was at the age where I was stealing all of my parents' books. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> question six: Which American author is the first to have won the Pulitzer Prize twice? for two consecutive novels. Bonus points if you can tell me which novels they are. Oof, that's a tough one. It is tough. I can give you some clues yep. in like a couple of seconds if no one, All right, clues. Um, they're both historical novels. Mm-hmm. One of them was recently made into, um, I think an Amazon series. Oh God. <laughs> Oh. And this author recently released another novel last week. Oh, last week. Okay, yeah. so it's like a really high-profile author. Yeah. American historical novel out last week. Who do you think it is? You know what? I, I'm pretty sure I've got the book in my bedroom, but I can't... <laughs> Drawing a blank. I've got no idea. Ah. The answer I was looking for is Colson Whitehead. Oh, God. Yeah. That's why it's hard he won to shuffle. Prize. He won the Pulitzer Prize for the Underground Railroad and the Nickel yes. Boys. His, oh, right. his two that's previous good. novels before Harlem Shuffle. Mm. That was a bit of a tough one. Uh, so I do tip my hat to you people. I am even the to reading it, though. I had no chance of that one, Olivia. You know what? There's only so many self-help books that make interesting <laughs> trivia questions. <laughs> what are the seven ways to influence people and make friends? All right. Question seven. We've got three questions left. Uh, Neil Gaiman's book Neverwhere is set in an underground world of which city? Okay. I heard Steph. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> is it London? You're correct, Steph. It is indeed London. Yes, it is. Oh, wow. Oh, we have two questions left, so let's do a little bit of a score count. Thomas is on one point, Nick is on two and a half, and Stefania is on three. Wow. So at this point, it can go Ooh, either way. Close. I'm just proud of Thomas for getting a point for a Shakespeare question. I'm within a, I'm, I'm within a two-point range, so there's still a chance. <laughs> yes. There's still a chance. These two, I feel like these two questions are pretty good, so let's, let's see how we go. So question eight. Which famous crime and mystery author famously vanished for 11 days before being found well? Okay, that's that's a dry, that's a dry question. And that answer is Agatha Christie. That is who it is. You're correct, Nick. It is Agatha Christie. <laughs> it was indeed Agatha Christie. Um, she vanished in, I 
school, I can't remember the year, I think 26, 1926, uh, mm -hmm. she vanished after discovering that her husband was having an affair with a mutual friend of theirs. Uh, weirdly, she was registered at, she was found at a hotel um, under the name Mrs. Tressa Neal. Um, Neal is the surname of her husband's lover, but she famously never spoke about her time when she went missing and she only referred to it in passing in her own autobiography. But it's one of the biggest mysteries of her life. Very, very, uh, very odd. Right. Final question. What is the number one best-selling book on the Booktopia website right this second? Okay, uh, I know that one as well. Um, dry. Mathis. Yes. I believe um, that the answer is from a certain heavily tattooed gentleman uh, who won the Fab Award in 2020 for uh, Uncook Yourself. And I believe it is, and that's what I reckon with Death to Jar Sauce. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> <laughs> the best selling book right now is indeed Death to Jar Sauce by and that's what I reckon. Um, probably going to be under a lot of Christmas trees this year, I think, that book. So congratulations to Nick, who has come out in front with four and a half points. What? <laughs> <laughs> and Stefania was just behind on three and Thomas is on one. So that's a valiant effort from everyone. I'm so proud of you all. I never win this. I like always edit them, but I never win. Oh, this Aww. is great. <laughs> I'll come back stronger next time, Nick. I know you will. <laughs> just any Shakespeare questions, I'm stuffed. Yeah, it'll just be exclusively Shakespeare questions. Um, but that is all we have time for this week. Uh, thank you so much to Stefania, Thomas and Nick for joining me today on the Weekend Booktopian. And thanks to all of our wonderful listeners who tune in week after week. We love you guys. Uh, you can find all of the books we've discussed today in the description box below. So be sure to check them out. They're all available from booktopia.com.au, but also feel free to show your local bookstore some love. I'm sure they would appreciate it in these trying times. Uh, the Weekend Booktopian is produced by Nick Wasiliev, and you can find more episodes of this show, as well as other fun podcasts, on our SoundCloud and Apple Podcast channels. Um, you can also find more fun bookish content on our blog, The Booktopian, including a roundup of um, books that you should read if you love Netflix show Sex Education. Um, don't forget, next week there will be sadly no episode of The Weekend Booktopian, but we will be back, don't you worry. Thanks for listening and never stop reading. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au